Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to Murder Mile. Today, I'm standing in London Zoo on the northeast corner of Regent's Park, NW1. A short walk from the first two possible murders by the Blackout Ripper. The discovery of the strangely reverent body of Rennie Hanrahan. And the scattered remains of the sex pest who crept. Coming soon. To murder mile. Established in 1828 as the London Zoological Society, London Zoo has provided education to the city's citizens for almost 200 years. It's a wonderful place to experience animals beyond London's persistently shagging foxes, scuttling bucktooth rats, and our infamously deformed pigeons. As here, kids can giggle at the bright red butt cheeks of baboons and go ooh at the large piles of poo. London Zoo has thousands of animals, whether lions, tigers, camels, crocodiles, apes, fish, penguins, snakes, spiders, and even Komodo dragons. But they don't have elephants with the last having left to live at Whipsnade Safari Park in 2001. This ended the long tradition of elephants at the zoo. Back in the 1920s, London Zoo had two elephant experts, Saeed Ali and San Dui. They lived on site, they loved their elephants, and according to the zoo's owners, everything was going swimmingly. That was until the night of Friday the 24th of August 1928, when Saeed was found beaten to death. But who would want to murder this little man? And what did it have to do with the zoo's most sacred of elephants? My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 172 the Sacred One.
You, in the bushes, identify yourself. I'm Sandui, elephant keeper. Christ, what happened to you? Four men. They tried to kill me. Imagine this. You've lived in a dark, chaotic city your whole life. Sputtering trams cram the roads. Tall chimneys belch plumes of smoke across the horizon. And the only hints of nature are the trees in the parks, the horses pulling carts, and you've never even seen a cow or a sheep. Maybe in a book or a film, you may have seen an image of an elephant, but this is impossible to imagine. A standing 8 to 13 feet tall, 10 to 16 feet long, and weighing 5,000 to 15,000 pounds. An elephant is the largest land mammal on earth. And suddenly, there it is. In a 350-acre park, in the heart of the city. In the 1920s, the London elephants were celebrities. Newspapers printed their names, postcards were adorned with their image, and people could ride their backs, seeing further than many had ever seen. Britain didn't have the expertise to ensure that the elephants were well cared for. So the zoo hired the best man that they could from one of the countries where the elephants roam free. And his name was Saeed Ali. In 1922, having travelled four and a half thousand miles by ship from Calcutta to Southampton, 26-year-old Saeed had left behind his wife and children to seek out a better wage for their future. Back in India, he was just an animal trainer. But to millions of Londoners, Saeed was as much a spectacle as the elephants. As a little man from foreign climes, Saeed exuded mysticism to the masses. Unlike the pasty locals, his skin was brown like the purest cane sugar. His robes were ornately stitched with intricate symbolism. Like an Indian king, he wore a mystical turban. And he spoke in a strange language which no one understood. Saeed knew that he was unique, and as a mahout who trained and drove the elephants, he earned two pounds and ten shillings a week, but often as much as five, thanks to the tips. He liked his job, he stood proud, he was well regarded, and he became quite the local celebrity. But as can be expected, his life was not as easy as Saeed made it look. Giving elephant rides by day, his hours were long and exhausting. By night, he bathed, fed and watered the elephants. He checked their pads for injury and slept when he could. As a Muslim, 
His prayer times were chaotic, and living in a country of pies and puddings, his stomach ached for fresh fruit and vegetables. Given his prestige, you might expect him to live in modest comfort or luxury, but he was treated no better than an animal. Situated in the far northwestern corner of the zoo, perched between the screeching baboons on Monkey Hill, a caged orangutan, a rubbish incinerator, and a steaming dung heap, he had a bed and a tiny kitchen, in a small two-roomed loft space above the tapir house. His status as a minor celebrity had brought him some benefits. But the notoriety had also brought him danger. As a man who some feared as he looked different, with fascism on the rise, he was subjected to abuse, assaults, and threats. And fearing the theft of all of his wages, with his bedroom window barely a few feet from the outer circle, at night he would sit trembling in a darkened silence having hid his money in a green padlocked box. Worse still was the inclement British weather. Coming from a country of scorching hot summers, the incessant drizzle and grey gloom had taken its toll on his health. So when autumn came and the zoo closed, Having bedded the elephants down, Saeed would return to Calcutta with a raging cold. Like most jobs, it had its perks and pitfalls. Only Saeed was not the only celebrity at the zoo. In the summer of 1926, as part of a world tour by entertainment empresarios, the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, having spent two years traveling from Burma to be exhibited in India and North America, Pawe, a 10-year-old albino elephant, would make its grand entrance at London Zoo. Captured in 1919, this incredibly rare elephant was as pale as the whitest marble. Owned by Dr. Saw Po Min of the Burmese Karan Zoological Society. To many cultures, like those in Burma and Siam, a white elephant wasn't just unique. It was sacred, revered, a symbol of power, and a blessing from God. Pao Wei was a worldwide sensation. And to ensure the well-being of this celebrity, the circus hired the best animal trainers and keepers. As alongside a team of ten, Pao Wei would be accompanied by San Dui. Jokingly known by his English pals as Sandy Wee. Although San was only 20 years old when he arrived at London Zoo, he had an intuitive understanding of elephants. Described as a softly spoken man, who was as humble as he was still. He wasn't here to become famous. He was here to care for Pao Wei. 
dressed in a wrinkled suit and a crumpled hat. San was described as one of the gentlest of fellows. He didn't drink, swear, or raise his voice. He didn't care for prestige, fame, or riches. And he loved his elephants so much that when they were sick, he would sleep beside them until they were healthy. As a Burmese Karan Christian, his mild personality made him the perfect choice to be Poway's keeper. Especially as the tour was not without its controversy. Two years earlier, Buddhist monks had protested the circus, had appealed the government, and with their threats falling on deaf ears, they had warned that a curse would befall anyone who removed this sacred elephant from its homeland. Seeing only pound signs, this mystical curse was ignored by the circus, and soon enough. A river of blood would come to London Zoo. Said, Said. Oh Christ! Somebody get an ambulance. The late summer and autumn months of the North American tour had been a great success, with the audiences of New York and Chicago wowed by this miraculous beast. With each elephant and its handler as healthy as when they had left, heading back to Burma, the curse seemed like an empty threat. In November 1928, the circus stopped off for two weeks in Regent's Park. With Said having returned to Calcutta, coughing and sneezing, as seized by his usual cold, as a baby elephant called Chang had just been born, when Parway headed home, the zoo asked Sandui to stay on as the new keeper. With the zoo closed, he earned only a modest wage for weaning the baby elephant, but being keen to ensure. The health and welfare of the others. Of his own back, he cared for all of the elephants while Said was away, feeding, bathing, and mucking them out, as it was a job he loved, without complaint. Sandoi had been the elephant trainer for seven months at London Zoo. Across which time, this quiet and friendly man had made many friends. And he was well respected for his compassion and expertise. Everybody loved Sandui. Everyone, except Said Ali. On the surface, Said was always professional. A little man who stood tall. And knew his place as the famous face of London Zoo. But having returned to Regent's Park, where he was known and respected, suddenly he had discovered that this young upstart had taken his crown 
as the Elephant King. As the Elephant Expert, he had been usurped by someone who didn't just ride them, he could raise them. As another dark-skinned man, the exotic look of Saeed Ali was no longer unique. And with both men living on site, in the two-roomed loft space above the tapir house, San slept in the other bed. Saeed never showed his anger in public. But in private, he would make San's life hell. San was Burmese. Saeed was Indian. San was Christian. Saeed was Muslim. Set aside their differences in age and culture. Hired to do the same job, San tried to make peace. But Saeed wanted him out. Seeing the elephants as his, Saeed took them all back. Seeing it as his main income, Saeed insisted that only he be allowed to drive the elephants, meaning that San earned half of what he did. Seeing Chang as also his responsibility, even though he hadn't got the skill, the time, and he wasn't hired to do so, Saeed would raise the elephant calf himself. Only in secret, San oversaw its rearing. Wanting to find his purpose and not to cause trouble, San backed down and stayed out of Saeed's way. Which was easy to do when they were busy working, but impossible to do when they were alone. Up a steep flight of stairs, Stuck in a cramped little loft space above the tapir house, the two shared a small kitchen with a tiny table at which they neither sat together or ate. A wood-burning hob on which they cooked separate meals. And in a bedroom barely 15 feet square lay two single beds side by side. Barely sleeping, they struggled to get an hour's sleep a night, as not only were they annoyed by each other's snoring, but also by the baboons howling, lions roaring, and through two pokey little windows, drunks would stagger along the outer circle, hurling abuse at the coloured men and trying to break into the zoo. No one had ever seen them quarrel. But Saeed had made it his mission to oust San from his life. In their dingy little room, Saeed had marked out what was his and where San could and couldn't stand. To bring himself a little joy missing his home, San would play music, only Saeed insisted the stop. Being too passive to speak up or lash out, San never spoke of his anguish, except once to the zoo's stoker. Three weeks before the murder, 
John Maycock had seen Sam sleeping in the elephant house. It made sense, as he loved his animals. But with none of them sick at the time, when he asked him why he wasn't sleeping in his own bed, San replied, I would sooner sooner sleep with the elephants than Saeed. Here he found peace. But in his own room, he found only persecution. We have only San's word to confirm this. But he said that seeing himself as vastly superior to this boy, Said, a Muslim, would insist that San, a Christian, kneel at his feet and bow ten times before him. As if this opinionated little elephant driver was a major celebrity. Life for Sandawi had become unbearable. And then, tragedy struck. On Thursday the 23rd of August 1928, across the world, almost every newspaper ran with the headline that following its return to its native Burma, the albino elephant Wei had died. Having spent years raising this sacred elephant, San was left a broken man, both lost and distraught. Sandoui would never fully admit to having murdered Saeed Ali. But it was believed that it was with this news that Saeed had taunted him. Friday the 24th of August 1928 was a balmy British summer's day as a hot sun baked the ground. Kids squealed in the ponds, lads played football in the field and giving rides on the back of a five-ton beast sat Saeed. All majestic in his turban and robes like the king of the elephants upon his throne. At the elephant house, San was bathing Chang. Seeing this little calf splashing in the cool water always made him smile. But unable to feel anything but grief and anger, his cheeky face was ashen and cold. San had always been a Christian with strong moral beliefs. Only now, he had murder on his mind. At 5pm, Herbert Moss, a labourer working in the yard beside the tapir house, stored his tools in the stokehole, saying, I had a good mind to lock them away, but I decided not to. I thought they would be safe. At 7.50pm, San was seen by Harold Ward, a zookeeper passing that same spot. No one saw San take the tools. But by the morning, a sledgehammer and a pickaxe 
would be found drenched in blood. Giving an eyewitness statement to the police, San would state, I lay reading till about half past ten, when Saeed put out the light and stood at the window. He said, come and look, look, English, one by one. There was men standing by the fence under our window. He said they were like animals. Saeed told them to leave. An Englishman shouted back, shut up you black man, shut up. After this talk, I went to sleep, but Saeed was not in bed. Both stokers in that neck of the zoo heard nothing that night. No shouts, no screams, no noise. The zoo was calm. Even Douglas Stewart, who was exercising a wolf, said that the wolf detected no one, which it would have. According to San, I lay on the bed reading a book. Saeed locked the door at the top of the stairs. He always did so when he came in after me. And with the day over, the two men quietly went to sleep. Awoken about midnight, Sandui would not sleep for very long. And yet Saeed Ali would sleep forever. Smashing open the stairway door, I was awakened by a light on the bed. Saeed said, Who are you? What do you want? I rolled off the bed underneath. I heard Saeed's noise, very big, then a cry. As Saeed was bludgeoned in his bed with the thick steel of the workman's tools. I took some of my blankets and jumped out of the window, sliding down a banked tiled roof and landing in a priest's hedge behind a six-foot railing. He was barely a few feet from the outer circle. I thought I would call out, but I could not breathe. I could not run. I crept. I call out and a policeman come. Passing by, PCs Evans and Buzzy race to his aid. You, in the bushes, identify yourself. I'm San Dewey, elephant keeper. The little man was clearly petrified. Dressed in just his pajamas, he had cuts to his feet, gashes to his hands, and with foam frothing at his mouth, he muttered incoherently, Don't let them kill me. Alerted by the two constables, rattling the gate and ringing the bell, the zoo's assistant superintendent, Charles Hicks, led them in. As they cautiously escorted San back to the tapir house. Something horrific had clearly taken place. Only the crime scene didn't make any sense.
as Detectives Askew, Henstridge and Oxland arrived at the zoo. They were unable to speak to a single witness who had heard a scuffle or scream. And oddly, the animals weren't restless or agitated. As they ascended the thin wooden stairwell, the first thing they noticed was an absence of light. As above their heads, an electric light should have illuminated the way. Only the bulb was missing. Shining a torch through the darkness to guide the way. At the top of the stairs, entry had clearly been made by bashing the bloodstained door wide open with a heavy tool, possibly a sledgehammer. Only with both men having been awoken in their sleep by two torches shining in their eyes. Why didn't they hear the door being broken? And how did the blood from inside the room end up outside the door? Inside, the small dark room was in chaos. Only it didn't look like the chaos of anger. It looked staged. A washing line of clothes had been snapped. The bed was slightly askew. And a window was open. Only having supposedly fled in panic, San had the presence of mind to take two blankets, a scarf, and his door keys. Moments after the murder, the padlock to Saeed's green trunk had been smashed and the contents scattered. Only his life savings of £50 in notes and a savings book of £60, roughly £7,000 today, was left behind. Examining the scene, the police could identify no other fingerprints except Saeed's and Sands. Both electric bulbs were spotted in the hedge, smashed where he had fallen. A pickaxe and sledgehammer was left on Saeed's bed. And although he had fled, the hands of Sandawi were dripping with blood. Saeed's still warm body was found in his bed. Lying on his left-hand side, with his bed sheets up to his waist, and no defensive wounds to his hands. It was clear that when he was attacked, he was asleep. With the walls spattered and his bed saturated with blood, as the right-handed side of his head had been battered in with a sledgehammer, being still sticky with matted hair, his skull had caved in, and all that remained was a gaping wound between his right ear and eye, which protruded at an odd angle. With at least eight hard swings, considerable force had unleashed three fast blows to his head, four to his chest, and one to his right arm. And although it was hard to see among the swelling mass of red, three deep puncture wounds were found to his torso, having been made with a pickaxe. Saeed Ali was taken to Hampstead General Hospital, but he was declared dead 
on arrival. On the 27th of November 1928, at the Old Bailey, 22-year-old Sandui pleaded not guilty to murder. As was his legal right, he gave no evidence to back up his alibi that he had been beaten and robbed by four unknown assailants. And although many character witnesses described him as a good, peaceful man, he gave no testimony as to how Saeed had tortured him to the point where he had snapped. The next day, with the jury having retired for 20 minutes, he was found guilty and sentenced to death. In a one-sided trial, the jury were never given the option to find him guilty of murder by diminished responsibility or manslaughter owing to mitigating circumstances. To many, Parway was a celebrity elephant, a freak of nature, and a spectacle of wonder. But to Sandui, this sacred albino elephant was as rare as angel's breath and as precious as God's word. As the crown jewel of his native country, this elephant, who he loved, was his responsibility and having ignored the monk's warning of a curse upon those who removed it from its homeland. Now it was dead, and his fault. San was a man in grief, but to the jury, he was a man with blood on his hands. On Saturday the 15th of December 1928, San appealed his sentence. He confessed that his alibi was false, He admitted to being bullied, and with the judges agreeing that this was a case of religious persecution, King George V commuted his death sentence to life in prison. Having served his sentence, Sandui returned to Burma, and the job he loved as an elephant trainer. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Good. Oh, stretchy time. Just as my throat was giving up. Hey everyone, how how's everyone doing? We all good? We all well and happy? Everyone everyone doing good things? Good things? Good thing, do, 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 where have you gone? Do, 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 look, good thing. There you go. Uh, I think it's fine young cannibals there. I'm going to open up a window because it's, it's not hot today. It's only like 23 degrees, but it's hot enough when you're sitting inside uh, Boaty McBoatface. With added boaty boat. Uh, so I'm just going to open up some doors. There we go. Oh, fresh air. Look at that. Fresh air. Oh, there we go. Good. That's done. Switch off the light because I don't need that because it's daytime, etc., etc. And I'm going to have my diet cook, which means I'm going to be very burpy. Burpy time. Brilliant. Great. That's what everyone wants to hear. That's what everyone tunes in for. Burpees. So, um, what's going on in the world? I don't need to make a cup of tea, so that's good. Uh, I don't feel like one at the moment. I had a few this morning. There you go. Diet Coke time. Mm. With lime. I don't know why I've got an obsession with this lime one. What is going on? Good stuff. I went out and saw some uh, mates yesterday. That was really good. It's nice to catch up with friends again. I met up with my mate Marco, all beard face on Sunday. That was good. We had some pints. We had some nice meal. We had two nice meals, in fact. That was very good. Uh, last night, met up with some old friends uh, who I haven't met up with ages. Really good. Nick, who uh, announced to us uh, that his surname... Uh, which you always thought it was one thing. It's actually, a, I think he said it's a Lithuanian thing, a surname or a Latvian thing. And on documentation, his surname seems to be Anusitis. So that kept us very amused for many hours. Uh, Love to see Tude as well. Tude listens in. Love to see Tude. And of course, there was uh, Simon, uh, the Queen documentarian from the Queen Pod. If you haven't listened to Queen Pod before, give it a go. If you're a fan of Queen and you like listening to uh, Queen music, but you like having really nice uh, discussions about it, tune into Queen Pod. It's a really good show. And it's got all the original music on there because it's like because it's approved by Queen. Uh, yeah, and uh, ooh, really good stuff. So, yeah, do that. Do that. Ooh, burpee just popped out. Lovely. Nice. Um, uh, other things going on. I've just sorted out. I think I've almost sorted out a London venue for the, the live tours that myself, Adam on, uh, UK True Crime podcast and uh, paul a true crime enthusiast we're doing a three-man show um we've got the glasgow date done paul is i think he's doing manchester i've just i think i've almost just sorted out london so that's good that's gonna be good uh what else is going on i think i finally after six months worked out how to use tiktok fuck's sake it's just like i've spent months uploading stuff and getting like a hundred views or stuff like that and just thinking what's the point and then i uploaded i think i mentioned it last week some shite of an extractor fan that slightly caught fire almost forty thousand views so i started uploading some really short little videos like on the hoof as i was walking around like looking at stuff going oh that's we'll do that Twenty, thirty thousand. i don't get it i don't get it but now i understand what i have to do it has to be short crappy little shit that means nothing so yeah I'm, i i have an, a tiktok account so it's it's murder mile type in murder mile you'll find it and it's this full of shit oh, whatever anyway so yeah tr- treat yourself if you like shit <laughs> um uh what else is go- oh yes so 
Uh, last week I did a recording with my good friend Luke. Uh, Luke, uh, even before most people even knew what podcasts were, back in 2008, could be 2007, uh, Luke was running Luke's English Podcast. It's a really wonderful podcast where uh, it's not about teaching people how to speak English. It's about helping people learn to understand conversational English, so proper English as opposed to this textbook bullshit so he has interviews with nice people but as he goes through because he's an English teacher um, as he understands things that kind of uh, someone who's from overseas might not understand he helps rephrase it it's really good anyway I have been on there many times and uh, here is a little uh, clip from (laughs) I I haven't even listened to see what clip it is but uh, Luke's give me a two-minute clip so enjoy the police managed to track him down. Uh, luckily, the guy who was shot in the stomach made a good recovery. Okay. Uh, the guy who was shot in the face was partially blinded, but that recovered. Uh, and the guy who was hit in the head, that was fine. That was just a superficial wound, so no- nothing too serious. Okay. Um, the police did an investigation. Uh, it turned out that when Edward came into the club, uh, as everyone would do, uh, he signed his name in the book. <laughs> oh, well done, Edward. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's that's just that's what crime is a lot of the time, that you, you're not planning to commit a murder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all these little pieces there, they found him because he was still working as a van driver. They turned up and he, he was like, yeah, mate, you know, I'm sorry about that. I just lost my rag. And the, the detective said, can I ask a question? Why, we, why do you have a shotgun with you? <laughs> And he was like, oh, mate, I was planning to do some shack fishing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the detective said, but there are no sharks in the United Kingdom. And he was like, yeah, I've only just realised that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. What yeah, a genius. Uh, I know. Fascinating, isn't it? <laughs> Incredible. So he came to Britain with a shotgun to do some shark hunting, mate. Shark He's like, fishing. mate, you're in London. Like, where where are you going to go? That's the thing. He doesn't even go to the coast (laughs) at any point. It's baffling. I I mean, it's a wonderful story. And I think it gives you a real insight into who he he is. Because when you look at his past, he's, he's always striving to get money. He's always trying to do a little bit better. He's not the most blessed with education and things like that and skills. Hence, he goes into crime, but he's always fighting to do a little bit better. And when he's ripped off with a little bit of money, that's a trigger. That's the trigger for him just to, for anger to kind of rage. Anything else, he'd probably be fine with that. But just it's his money and he earned it honestly as a van driver. And this lady ripped him off for no reason. Yeah. Wow. Well, mm. one action packed story that is. And thankfully, uh, no one, no one died this time. So there you go. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, hopefully I'm going to meet up with Luke soon because he's coming over from uh, France where he lives. Uh, and because he's uh, also one of our friends in this group as well, Police Constable Arsenal Guinness might be there as well. So that'd be very good. Lovely to see them all together again. We haven't met up in a long time. Uh, Diet-wise, still going well. That's all good. Sticking to my diet. It's not really a diet as such. What I've realised is it's just not picking picking out as I normally would. Not shoveling like five whisper bars in my face at the same time without breathing. So there we go. I think that's a secret to dieting. Just don't be a pig about it. Uh, um, right. A big thank you to my new Patreon supporters. Who are Alison Gurdievsky, Frank Roperts, Jan Wilson. 
Thank you very much, all three. Thank you so much. There's some. Uh, hopefully, you've enjoyed all the goodies that are in there. There's some uh, some interesting videos that are posted. Some uh, lots of photos, uh, crime scene photos that you won't get anywhere else. I don't share them online. I don't share them on social media. They are just for Patreon subscribers. So, uh, if you if you want to have a look at this stuff, please do. And also, you get all my little minisodes as well. Uh, you get those like a week earlier than everyone else. And also, my big project that's coming out in winter in uh, autumn. You'll get that first, and that's a biggie. That's a big project. So, uh, yeah, good times. Right, let's do some quiz questions. Don't forget, as always, uh, I might edit some of these out because I haven't edited the show yet, or I might ball them up. I think it was two questions last week that I edited out, so there we go. Uh, so don't worry if you don't get all ten. Question number one. In what year did London Zoo stop having elephants? Question two. What city did Saeed come from? Question three. Poway arrived in the UK as part of which circus? There's actually a two group per circus. Uh, question four. In what year was Poway captured? Question five. Uh, in which you in which which two US cities did Poway visit? I say that as my stomach rumbles. Uh, question six. What age was Poway when it died? Question seven. What was San's nickname by his hilarious colleagues? Question eight. What was Douglas Stewart doing on the night of the murder? Question nine. In what exhibit were the baboons in? And question ten. What was the last thing what was the last thing that Saeed drank or ate before his death? As always, don't forget these may get edited out, but we'll do the answers at the end. Right, let's dive into some extra details about this. Uh, as mentioned, uh, John Maycock was kind of on duty that night. He was having a stroll around. Now, interestingly, he was having a stroll around the north western side of the park, which is the area where the Tapier House was. Uh, and he was strolling around until just before midnight uh, when he said he went to the uh, mess room and he had his breakfast. So he was nearby. He said he passed their room to about 10.30 p.m. and he didn't hear any sounds. So we know that there wasn't an argument pre this, but obviously they'd, they'd had, had an argument um, the day before. Uh, and maybe they're just not, not talking anymore. Uh, or San was probably waiting for Saeed to go uh, to sleep. Uh, but it had been said that for uh, at least on several occasions, uh, John Maycock, who was the, the night watchman there, uh, he had seen San uh, on different occasions sleeping in various parts of the zoo. Quite often he'd sleep in the elephant house, but he, he was the one who said, I just I just don't want to I don't want to sleep in the same room as that man. Uh, sand originally I was going to when I was doing this episode, it took me a lot of while to work out what I wanted to do. Um, originally I was going to tell one side of the story which was the robbery and then I was going to tell the truth of what really happened and I realised I was complicating things so I almost entirely removed the idea of the robbery I've given you hints of it but then you kind of you you see that it's just an alibi rather than it being an actual 
uh, robbery. So San's story was, I tell you what happened last night, he said. Uh, I know Saeed Ali, with whom I have lived, is dead. I went into my room at eight o'clock. Saeed was indoors and he was putting his coppers, i.e. the money, he gets when he uh, does his elephant round, into a little brown bag. The coppers were wrapped up in paper. He then said he was going to a shop on Park Street. This was worked out to be Frederick Blackburn's shop at 111 Park Street. Um, they sell butter, sugar, cake and other food. Ooh, nice. Uh, he went out and came back about half past nine. I was sitting in a chair in the kitchen. He went into the bedroom and took off his jacket and cap. He told me he had brought some salt. He said, I, uh, I then went into the bedroom and lay there reading a book. I think Saeed locked the door at the top of the stairs. He always did this when he came in after me. Um, I was lying... Uh, reading till about half past ten when Said put out the electric light and stood at the window and said come and look come and look look English one by one looking out the window uh, he was meaning men and women standing by the fence and uh, in the street under our window so there there where there uh, the tapir house was was right on right by the fence right by the outer circle which is the road that we discussed last week which is why i'm putting this episode here because we've already discussed what the outer circle is there you go see cleverness going on there uh i do plan ahead uh he said um he said the people outside were acting like animals uh an englishman shouted back shut up you black man shut up after this i went to sleep side was not in bed um now we don't have any other witnesses that corroborate there were people outside, drunks, shouting, anything like that. But you never know, it might have been. Um, Sand story. So they said, he said that they were both asleep. But obviously, if someone's smashing down a door with a sledgehammer, you're going to hear that. Um, unless they're both entirely deaf. But San said, I was awakened by a light on my bed just close to me. There were two lights. Saeed said, who are you and what do you do? I don't remember what. They then hit Saeed and I roll off the bed underneath. I heard Saeed's noise, very big, then a cry. And a man said, you are all right. You stop there. Uh, I heard the noise beating Saeed, all very quick. I then remember which way... I then remember which way I can't get out. I remember I get one window only open and took some of my blankets and jumped out the window. Then I thought I would call out, but I cannot breathe. I cannot run. I walk a little. I creep out and call out and a policeman come. I saw two lights and maybe three or four men. I cannot see the men, only hear voices. When I go to bed, I put my keys under uh, back of my bed. Uh, these are the keys I have shown you. Uh, so obviously the police officers turn up and they, they said he was absolutely distraught he's in a mess they could hear groaning coming from the gates they looked in and there's there's Sandui there and he's wearing like just pants and vest and a pyjama coat uh, and he was incoherent and they instantly sent for an ambulance and he kept saying four men tried to kill me uh, when they said where is your mate he replied he is finished four men killed him uh, or even though he, uh, when they looked in the bushes, they found uh, the blankets. So that must have been for him to land on or to, to hide in the bushes because they said there was a lot of kind of spiky twigs underneath, uh, as well as his wooden, woolen scarf as well. 
Ah, what else have we got? What else have we got? The investigation. Okay, Detective Inspector Askew was heading it up. Detective Sergeant Henstridge and Detective Ox- Oxland arrived at about 3.40pm, so a couple of hours later. But the police had turned up and they had secured the area. Uh, the body, it wasn't quite a body at that point, but Saeed had been taken to hospital because he was still warm and they detected kind of rough signs of blood so they felt it best to take him to hospital but he died he pretty much they reckon he died en route but he was declared dead by the time he arrived at the hospital um around the bed the sledgehammer and the pickaxe was found initially there was little evidence that the pickaxe had been used to murder ali um uh it was found on the bed at the very bottom of the bed kind of above his bedclothes and the sledgehammer was actually found in the living room which is kind of their kitchen room just to the side the walls were spattered with blood um would you mention about where they were found blood was four inches along the pick's uh blade uh, we'll go into the kind of the uh, autopsy in a bit uh, Saeed's uh, injuries were fatal to the head he was hit they said while he was asleep you could, they could kind of see the spatter pattern over the pillow and where his head was resting so he, he pretty much did not move uh, as mentioned eight blows in total three to the head four to the chest one to the right arm because he was lying on his left hand side uh, Saeed's body was warm he was removed by the ambulance men who were present uh, in case he was still alive um, it was a tight stairwell to get down so in court they did kind of say they they said how was there blood on the outside of the door and the defense said well they were moving the body outside on a stretcher down a really tight stairwell so it could have easily rubbed off on the door on the outside which you know possible uh ambulance took him to Hampstead general on bayham street in, in uh, camden uh, sans injuries uh, doctor certified that San was hysterical and that he had a small injury to his right heel, uh, possibly having slid down the roof tiles. Uh, and they said it was not li- not likely to have been caused by any instrument, i.e., a knife or a sledgehammer or anything. He was placed on the mental ward. That's how they describe it at St Pancras Hospital, and a constable remained with him throughout. He was described as uh, hysterical and incoherent. Um, as mentioned, uh, Said had a green box about two feet long 15 inches wide 14 inches deep um it had a padlock on it uh, the pa- the sledgehammer had been used to break that open so the top of the box was broken uh two bags of coins were on top but the lid was smashed the padlock was smashed um uh, and there were blood stains on the box but also inside the box suggesting uh that it was smashed uh, after saeed was killed uh there was uh, as mentioned there were, he had a wallet there as well uh which had he, he had a decent amount of money on it on him about the equivalent of about seven thousand pounds so he, he was earning a decent decent whack then uh light bulbs both of them were found two electric light bulbs had re- been removed hence the room was in darkness this was the one in the stairwell and the one in the main room and they had been thrown out the window uh, Sans' fingerprints were found on the lampshades which connected them, so he held onto the lampshade and then screwed them out. Um, uh, da, da, da. What else have we got? Yeah, they looked at the door and they said it had definitely been forced open, but the blood stains were on the outside, which didn't make any sense at all. 
in court, uh, Mr. Evans said, I am suggesting that the door might have been forced open by San in order to give colour to his story that someone else had done it. So they felt it was, as the blood would show, it's more likely that he committed the murder than he went round trying to find ways of covering it up. Uh, what else we got? Uh, fingerprints. As mentioned, uh, on the lampshade, uh, they were Sandoese. Uh, oh, what else is there? I think that's it. Monies, yeah. So it definitely wasn't a robbery. When they went through uh, their possessions, um, Sandoese had a decent amount of money on him. So he had roughly £16, which is just over £1,000 found in his boot box. Um, he also had about £10, which is £650, and he had banked uh, £16, which is just over £1,000 as well, which that's uh, uh, 42 So, yeah, a decent amount of money on him. Uh, so they really didn't think it was a robbery at all. Nothing had been nicked. Uh, what else we got? Uh, the, 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 there's one part that this is why I didn't go into the details about the robbery, because it, it gets really convoluted. Obviously, San is potentially lying his way through this and making stuff up as he goes along as kind of a, an alibi to get, so he doesn't he doesn't get found to be uh, have been committed the murder um but he said that he knew um one of the someone that let's try and read this he said that he knew one of the men who had come to him in the elephant house and suggested leaving the door open so that they could rob ali he did not know the man's name, but he was English and lived in Chalk Farm and always wore an overcoat. Whether the weather was hot or cold, the man did not turn up. Asked in the, at the trial uh, by H.D. Room, who was the, the kind of the head prosecutor, uh, have you tried to trace this man? Uh, Detective Superintendent Askew said yes, but I was unable to find any anyone co corresponding to such a man. So they couldn't find anyone uh, of any details going by that so it's likely it was just bullshit uh superintendent of the zoo uh dr jeffrey vivera vivera sounds like he's got a stutter uh superintendent of the zoo said that there had been a f says me stuttering uh said that there had been a few burglaries at the zoo uh as it's quite an easy place to break into uh back then it was just kind of like a little fence around the outside uh, often when the park is closed people have been found wandering around the zoo unfortunately around the zoo is like a ring of pubs so a lot of people would get drunk and then they'd stagger through the park because it's a nice little route home if you go into the uh, train station or whatever oh dear lord yawning um no money was missing from the pre premises as far as the pe police could tell uh, and both San and Saeed had more than enough savings. Uh, what else have we got? Hospital. Uh, the medical casualty officer at Hampstead General Hospital said that when Ali was brought in, he'd been, he reckoned he'd been dead for at least two hours. Uh, although some people, although he's declared dead on arrival, that there's a difference between when he died and when you're declared dead. Uh, what else is there? Uh, um, see something else I didn't go into as well. Um, San had a friend called San Po Luin, uh, who was a friend and also a law student. Who was, even though he's not qualified, he kind of came in as his kind of 
advocate kind of law advocate there and uh sometimes when they were talking the police would take down notes of what the two were saying and Sanad said uh, I said I want to go back to Burma and I I have not enough money Mr Hicks who was the assistant superintendent said he would fix it for me but he did not Mr Hicks had asked him why do you want to go back to Burma San said uh, uh, no I want to go back back to Burma uh, I have not got enough money only £40 not enough to go back San knew that Said kept his money his savings in the trunk I think it's unlikely unlikely that he was um, uh, wanting to steal money from him because like he's riding elephants all day you could just wait until he's riding elephants all day and then break in and make it look like a burglary why kill him in his bed I think it's, this is more of a revenge attack if anything else uh, coroner's inquest was opened on the 29th of August uh, at St Pancras Coroner's Court. Um, the autopsy was conducted at 4am, so four hours after the murder at pa- St Pancras Mortuary, conducted by St Bernard Spilsbury. Uh, Aston Court Spilsbury confirmed that the sledgehammer could have inflicted the wounds, but the pickaxe was less likely uh, unless he had used the broadside. This is for the wounds to the head. Uh, there were stains of blood at the end of the pick, but these were not uh, caused by the injury. Most most likely blood transfer. Spilsbury said that the death would have taken place in a few minutes. Uh, death was as a result of shock and loss of blood caused by injuries to the head and chest. Um, coroner, was considerable force used? Spilsbury, yes, at least eight blows were delivered with some blunt force object. Coroner, would one alone of these injuries be sufficient to have caused death? Sir Sir Bernard, yes, I think the head injury alone would have caused death. Uh, But when looking at the body, uh, the most severe wound was to the right temple uh, and just behind the right ear. uh, The ear itself having been badly crushed. uh, But there were also three large puncture wounds to the right hand side of the body, which he said had been committed by a a pickaxe because they were very sharp. Uh, uh, he was charged at Marleybone Police Court and remanded in custody for eight days. He was uh, officially arrested on uh, 28th of August, so it's the same day. Um, I won't mean to show... Have we done the statement? Yes, we have. We've done the statement. Yes, so we don't need to do that. Trial, as mentioned, 27th of uh, November 1928. It was pretty much a one-day trial, and they sentenced him the next day. It was before Mr Justice Swift... Uh, where he pleaded not guilty Uh, and Mr Lewin who was his friend acted as legal counsel even though he was only a law student Uh, which didn't make any sense because it was a murder trial it's not like you it's not like the prosecution is against um, you know you've got you've got the the greatest of lawyers against like some guy who's worth you know you you bought him for you hire him out for 50 quid Um, as for the defence, he got Sir Henry Curtis Bennett, KC, so King's Counsel. So that's like that's top flight. When you're when you're tried for murder, you get a top flight lawyer, whether you can afford it or not. Uh, so mo- most of these people can't couldn't afford that. So you, you get that through legal aid, um, which means you get it all for free. So which is good. That means everyone gets a, a fair bite of the cherry. Whether you're rich or poor, you get a lawyer who's decent. Uh, what else is there? Um, Sir Henry was going with the idea that this was a robbery, saying that Sandoe was kind of terror-stricken after the murder. He was foaming at the mouth like a demented madman. Uh, and there was consistencies with his story suggesting 
that a burglary had taken place and that he hadn't killed Ali. Uh, but obviously, that you know, you don't need to, if you're the defence, you don't need to give a uh, you don't need to give evidence at all. Pretty much, you can just that's the problem is that's what they say is the it's the prosecution to find the burden of proof. Uh, but there's always a risk that if you're not particularly clever or smart or you know you can be easily tripped up by the prosecution asking a question that you're not ready for and absolutely cocking up so quite often they just say don't say anything just say nothing at all and then it's you know if they make a mistake or they haven't got the evidence that's their tough shit so uh he was sent to a pentonville prison to await his execution um but there was a private appeal arranged by his solicitor and it ended up being successful there you go so uh there's that little story ah regent's park lots of murders busy 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 bee busy bee right let's let's done this so i'm gonna do the questions to the quizzy 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 quiz face oh sun's coming out and my lavender plants are picking up a bit i think they needed they needed a little bit of water and a little bit of a blast of sunlight. Um, that's exciting. Question number one. In what year did London Zoo London Zoo stop having elephants? That was 2001. Question two. In what city did Saeed come from? It was Calcutta. Question three. Parway arrived in the UK as part of which circus? So as mentioned, this was two groups. It was the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey. Question four. In what year was Parway captured? Uh, that was 1919. Question five. Which two US cities did Parway visit? It was uh, New York, New York and Chicago. Question six. What age was Parway when it died? I only say it because I couldn't get confirmation of whether it was a boy or a girl. Some journalists said he, but quite often they do that anyway. So I couldn't get confirmation on that. Hence I say it. Uh, what age was Parway when it died? Uh, it was 10 years old. Uh, if, it, if the elephant was in the wild, even though it's an albi albino, so it probably wouldn't have, uh, it should have lived to at least 75 years. Uh, normally they last 40 to 50 in a zoo. But obviously, being an albino elephant, uh, the likelihood is it would, wouldn't have survived because it can't blend, in, blend into its environment. Uh, but uh, so it was captured in 1919, and this was 1928. So it was about one year old when it was captured. So it would have, would have been still been a bit of a calf. Uh, seven. Uh, question seven: What was Sand's nickname by his hilarious English colleagues? It was Sandy Wee. There you go. Sandy Wee. Lovely. Question eight. What was Douglas Stewart doing on the night of the murder? He was exercising a wolf, as we all do. Maybe that's a euphemism. Pervert. Question nine. In what exhibit were the baboons in? 
that was Monkey Hill. And if you go to the entrance of uh, uh, London Zoo now, and you, the entrance is on the outer circle, and if you look to the right, you see a big brown kind of knobbly structure. That's Monkey Hill. And the uh, tapir house, which doesn't exist anymore, that was ju that's just to the left of it. So uh, there you go. Uh, and the final question, what was the last thing that Saeed either drank or ate before his death? It was a nice cup of tea. Lovely. That's what you want before you die. You want to have a nice cup of tea and a cake, maybe. Mmm, I miss cakes. Oh, yum. Right, that was me done. Hope you enjoyed that that episode. Uh, we are back next week. I don't, uh, I don't know what next week's episode is. <sighs> Although, if you tune into, if you tune in, if you like Extra Mile, uh, I do a series called Walk with Me. Uh, I let you into the little secrets about the editing of this show and all the secrets you don't actually hear in Extra Mile. And at the end of Walk With Me, I always say, uh, and next week's show is, and you get a little clue to that. So it's always worth signing up. Thank you to everyone for listening to Murder Mile. It's very much appreciated. Hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope you're all having yourselves a good week. Stay safe and be good. Lots of love. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.